Um, I don't know. Does the ability to work with details make someone a detail person? No, no, not necessarily. Because, I mean, in some maybe regards, I... I see myself as a big picture guy. But I, I mm -hmm. guess maybe in a sense, not being able to know which I am, maybe that proves I'm a detail guy. I don't know. Because I'm I'm thinking too hard <laughs> about you're it. The I'm thinking about all the details of it. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> you're listening to Reason Together, the podcast for Christians who think about stuff. I'm your host Daniel Fox here, along with uh, my great friend Thomas Belzama. How are you, Tom? I'm good. 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 I'm excited uh, about this episode. Uh, a thought kind of struck me. This is this is somewhat, w regardless of when people listen to it, for us, <laughs> it's somewhat of a Thanksgiving episode, mm -hmm. and um, and so we're kind of heading that direction with this. So we're going to only discuss probably a couple different things, um, but I want our listeners to hang on. Uh, you'll probably have a timestamp as, as to as to the location of these two different topics. Uh, so we're going to get into some feedback first. But uh, but hang with us because I want you to hear this story coming up. Uh, it means a lot to me. I think it'll be a blessing to you. So so hang on with us. Yes, and before we do anything else uh, this morning, we do want to thank our patrons over at Patreon.com/slash/ReasonTogether. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com/slash/ReasonTogether. Those are our faithful supporters of this podcast. We do thank all of you for your generous support and for keeping this little thing going. Thank you for that. All right. So um, <clears throat> I know it's been crazy busy here. It's been uh, crazy busy <laughs> there <laughs> where yeah. you're at. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I hope that you're getting close to meeting your deadlines. Yeah, yeah um, sort of. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, speaking of deadlines, um, we never really put a deadline yet on the puzzler answer. Ah. Which yeah. I figured we'd give that at least a few weeks to soak um, out there and let okay. our listeners uh, think about that for a while and see if they can come up with an answer. We already have received some responses. Oh, wonderful. On this. Um, but it's not too late to send in your response. Um, do you want to give a quick synopsis of that puzzler real quick? Can, can you do that? Yeah, yeah. Basically, we threw out a question, and uh, we're asking our listeners, uh, regardless of whether you're a patron or not, by the way, we're talk ask, talking about all listeners here. You, uh, If you think you know the answer, even if you don't think you do, <laughs> come up, make up one. <laughs> take, a, take a stab at it. <laughs> take a stab. And, uh, and send your answer to reasontogetherpodcast at gmail.com, and from the correct answers, we'll select... Uh, a winner to uh, receive a free book, Boyhood and Beyond, by, is it Ray? Um, Practical oh. Happiness, I think, was the one we... Right, what was uh, Schultz? Uh, Bob Schultz. Bob, Bob Schultz, Bob thank Schultz. you. Yeah. Um, and so, anyway, that's neat. Um, so here, the, the basic question was this. There's a, what Bible character basically said, I'm going to go into a you know, place of pagan worship and have to bow... And I'm asking in advance for pardon. And the man of God said, you know, something like go in peace or go in the Lord be with thee. So mm -hmm. um, that's the basic question. What Bible character basically asked in advance for pardon for bowing in a pagan temple? Mm -hmm. Very good. Okay. Very good. If you know All the right. answer to that, send that to Reason Together Podcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see if you're a winner. <laughs> All right. Great. We have... Um, 
Uh, we have some patron feedback uh, on a on some previous episodes. We've been talking about stuff, and I and I we really appreciate feedback, and I appreciate this feedback. There was even sort of a double feedback on it, um, and we can try to mm-hmm. maybe summarize this to some degree, Tom. You think? Um, yeah, we could summarize it, but I, I would like to point out a, a fair amount of the scriptures here that uh, oh, this sure. this yeah. patron has listed. Um, <clears throat> the topic last time touched on, at least for a moment of the episode, it touched on civil disobedience and what a Christian should civilly disobey about and what they should not. And the common view, at least the most prevalent view from, from my anecdotal standpoint, from people that I've talked to, seems to be that we obey the government uh, in all things, <clears throat> unless they are telling us to sin or disobey the Lord, at which point we must obey God rather than men. That seems to be the common view, and it's based on uh, <clears throat> Romans chapter 13, 1 Peter right. chapter 2, and I think even Titus chapter 3. There's some statements there about um, um, magistrates and principalities and, and such. And one of the thoughts that I brought out in the last episode was, what do you do with a form of government that, by its own definition, is sort of outside of the context of the government that was described, uh, or at least referred to, at the time the scriptures were written? Um, And what I mean by that is you have governments in those days where there was really no fair appeal process uh, for everyone. There was no trial by jury for everyone. Uh, there, there wasn't really the consent of the governed that was considered <laughs> when laws were made. Laws were arbitrary and capricious. Uh, there was an emperor who saw himself as a god. Um, there was all sorts of different things about the form of government that existed then. Uh, and the government is an ordained of God power. But what do you do with a form of government that essentially nullifies itself in its own founding philosophy <laughs> if it were to overstep your boundaries or, or yeah, overstep your yeah. your rights? And the question, the way I'd asked it is, are you really disobeying a government that has told you already, disobey us if we become tyrannical? How is it disobedience if they've already told you to do that? And I cited a quote from the Declaration of Independence uh, <clears throat> regarding casting off such government. Um, so it's 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 built into our founding philosophy, and obviously it's uh, it's it begins at the citizen level uh, when people begin to um, cast off such government. If the government itself is corrupted and following the channels of government are corrupted, our own founding philosophy gives citizens. The responsibility, in fact, I quote, it is their right, it is their duty, okay, to cast off such government. Um, So are we really disobeying when we civilly disobey something like a mask mandate or a restriction on gatherings for Thanksgiving? Are we really disobeying when we do that? You're you're disobeying the power, (coughs) disobeying the power who has overstepped his bounds, and so thus you're not really disobeying the Constitution. Yeah, and and because that power has already stipulated, disobey us if we go too far. Um, So it's kind of food for thought, and in many ways uh, it's almost, you could almost argue it is more faithful to one's civil government to civilly disobey 
in in matters like mask mandates or um, uh, you know gathering for Thanksgiving. It's almost more faithful to um, to obeying one's government. If the government said, "If we become tyrants, disobey us." Now, <clears throat> quick, quick, you know, clarification. I mean, not clarification, but you know. Just side note here that in Scripture there, there are two different words translated uh, power. I think it, it is, um, and one has the idea of you know strength, if you will, and the other one has the idea of authority. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because what we Good see point. here is thanks. So we see uh, you know that w- inside of constitutional bounds, of course, governors mm-hmm. and governing officials have authority. When they overstep those bounds, they no longer technically have authority, though they may still have power or strength. Mm. In other words, they may be able to, you know, down the road, you may not be able to resist. They may have such a structure that they can force you to do certain things. It doesn't mean, though, that their uh, authority is legitimate, but simply that their strength, you know, that their power is strong enough to make you do it. Yeah. Uh, Did I bring up in the last episode the instance in Buffalo, New York? I don't know Where that, did that, that happen doesn't at. sound familiar. I think that actually happened later the same day that we recorded. Okay. Um, there was about 100 business owners in Buffalo, New York, that met together for some sort of planning meeting. Mm-hmm. And they're all struggling because of Governor Cuomo's restrictions and all of that. Some anonymous whistleblower, some anonymous caller, placed a call to the Department of Health uh, to report them because gatherings were supposed to be no more than 10 people. And these businesses were like, there were like 100 people there. And they were not mostly wearing masks. So the Department of Health lady shows up with two people from the sheriff's department, armed sheriffs, okay, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> to try and break up this meeting. But the citizens were ready for this. They, they knew their law. They knew what an executive order is. And it never got violent, but it did get a little bit heated. People were shouting uh, at the officials. <clears throat> um, And the sheriff can be heard saying at one point, why aren't you people wearing masks? It's the law. And one of the dissenters wisely pointed out to the sheriff, an executive order is not a law. Correct. Governors cannot make law. That is correct. And I don't know that a lot of citizens are aware of that. Mm -hmm. They think an executive order is just something to be obeyed. Um, and the fact of the matter is an executive order only need be obeyed if people choose to obey it. But everyone just kind of thinks we're supposed to lay over and obey that. Executive orders are in a sense meant to be challenged. And and, and, and it's kind of built in, it's baked into the cake that way. So mm-hmm. these citizens were wise enough to know that. And they were also on private property. So they shouted down these sheriffs and forced them to leave. Not physically, but the officials knew that they were kind of on the wrong side of this. They, they knew at a certain point, they're right. We can't be here legally. We're being, we're being kicked out. <laughs> so, so they, uh, so they had to leave. And, and I thought that was a beautiful picture in many ways of what civil disobedience is. They never got violent. Um, they got a little heated because there was a lot of people talking at once, but they were in the right and, and they stood up to a tyrannical dictate and and one at least on on that matter now it may end up in the courts later which people need to understand that is a fair consequence of disobeying an executive order is that it has to be hashed out later okay but and and then and then and if you if you're <coughs> going to be willing to resist you have to be willing at some point to 
suffer consequences. Exactly. Um, and just and, and the reason it, for people that are going, wait, what? What did you just say about a governor? <laughs> um, would that be because the governor is essentially part of the executive branch, not the legislative branch? Yes. And law is made by the legislative branch. And yeah. so if it's not actually followed through proper channels, there is there is um, uh, there is what do you say room for executive orders? Not not that they're just like made up right. out of thin air, right. but they're not the same as the legislative. Uh, yeah, a law has to pass through a legislative body that is made up of people who represent me and you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that we have, <laughs> yeah, so that we have essentially a say where that law gets hashed out, um, whereas an executive order bypasses that and, and really can't hold up in many cases. So, all that to okay. say, uh, that's a good example of civil disobedience. <clears throat> the question is, is a Christian sinning if they civilly disobey in a matter that isn't really forcing the Christian to disobey God. God never said, you know, don't wear masks or, you know, limit Thanksgiving gatherings. So for the average uh, prevalent view that, you know, we, we must obey government in all matters unless they tell us to disobey God, for the average Christian, they believe they shouldn't be able to do that. But what I'm saying right. is our form of government is different. <clears throat> so we got this feedback from... Uh, one of our patrons from Justin, and I'll try to breeze through it here quickly and give you the highlights. Uh, he says, I've really enjoyed your discussions over the past weeks about masks, liberty, civil disobedience, and government. They cause me to think in new ways about these different topics, which I greatly appreciate. <clears throat> he says, I completely agree about the liberty versus safety argument. In this nation, we prize liberty. It is what we were founded upon. And thus, when it comes to everything from what food to eat to vaccines to seat belts, I believe that I should have liberty to make my own informed decision rather than having the government make that decision for me in the name of my safety or other safety. <clears throat> when I think of the mask issue, I couldn't agree more that I should have the liberty to choose to wear ones uh, to wear one or not. Um, <clears throat> based on what I read, I agree that masks likely have little benefit and it represents another step of government encroachment into my and my family's lives. Uh, this is where Justin's feedback comes into play here. I have been there. Uh, I, I believe there has been a missing point in the discussion. However, it has to do with my behavior as a Christian. If I imagine myself talking with a lost person who believes that masks are helpful, I need to consider my testimony of Christ. Many people are wearing masks not because they think the mask will protect themselves, but rather because they think they may be protecting me. So my lack of mask wearing to them is an outward indication that I have little regard for their or others' safety. While I agree that sacrificing liberty for safety is foolhardy, what about sacrificing liberty for someone's salvation or for the testimony of Christ? To demonstrate to them the love of Christ by saying, I don't know, or I know I don't believe this mask helps, but because they do, I'm willing to give up my liberty to show them that I care for them. Um... says, do I wish more people would move beyond mainstream media and have more complete understanding of these issues? Absolutely. Do I wish more people valued their liberty? Absolutely. If someone asked me about my thoughts on masks, would I tell them that I think they're not helpful and the government is overstepping? Absolutely. And then Justin lists several uh, important scriptures here <clears throat> that are food for thought. 1 Corinthians 10, 27. Uh, and uh, actually 10 all the way through 30... Three, it looks like he lists here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if any man say unto you, 
this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat it not, or eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of for that which I gave thanks? <clears throat> Whether therefore ye eat or drink whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Give none offense. <clears throat> this is the, the key verse here. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. And this is even more key. He goes on, even as I please all men in all things, <clears throat> not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. So Justin uh, obviously makes a delineation here as he goes on between, um, you know, meat that's offered to idols. It would be ridiculous to think of it as anything other than just meat. Um, <clears throat> however, he says in these verses, Paul instructs us to give an acknowledgement of something that is false for the conscience of another to give no offense, to sacrifice liberty for the profit of another that they may be saved. And Justin goes on saying that you know, his, his own thinking is, is kind of changing over time the more he thinks about this. Uh, so he says, today when I put on a mask, I don't do it because I believe that I or others are safer. I also don't do it simply because my governor tells me to. I do it because the person I'm talking with believes the virus is dangerous and that masks provide protection. I'd rather sacrifice my liberty than to offend my testimony and destroy any opportunity to tell them there is one on whom, if they place their faith and trust, will give them the peace that passes all understanding. Um, <clears throat> he goes on to actually cite uh, a real instance in uh, the news up there where, where he lives, uh, the state mm -hmm. that he lives. And I actually know the church this article was written about. I've been there. Um, but a church where the pastor went and officiated a wedding and... It, it kind of ended up in spreading COVID in pretty much the largest spreading incidents in the entire state. There were uh, eight fatalities and nearly 200 infections traced to that, that pastor going and officiating that wedding. The article, though, is basically a hit job. <clears throat> um, and I've read the article. It, it is a hit job. It's not really written entirely fairly. Um, mm -hmm. And it paints the picture of the, the church there and, and kind of subtly Christians in general as anti-science power hungry uh, people, as Justin reinforces says, reinforces the narrative, reinforces really. the narrative that Christians, yeah. you know, anti-science and they don't care about the, the well-being of others and, and so on. The article is definitely dishonest uh, from that regard. Um, and I can link to that in the show notes as well, um, <clears throat> because it actually made made somewhat national news, too. I think it was mentioned uh, in several places around the country. Um, so, but Justin asks, so I ask myself, what is our mission? Is it to pronounce our liberty, which we have, and disobey the government because of a clear encroachment? My belief is that uh, it is rather to seek the kingdom of God, or in other words, witness to the lost. <clears throat> the testimony of the church, the testimony of the church that I mentioned above is severely injured. If this church had sacrificed their liberty and followed the guidelines that did not directly contradict Scripture, this paper might have tried to write a story, but nothing would have stuck. In fact, if this church had practiced the guidelines and the outbreak still occurred, it would have been strong evidence against the mask mandates. So I, I need to pause there for a second and just kind of wonder, um, you know, when we think about Christian liberty from the standpoint of, of this, this church, this incidence here, the, the hit piece that was written, 
do we really think that that writer would have had a different opinion of the church if the church was, quote, following the science? Uh, no, because uh, he probably said they shouldn't have been meeting at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it had been one more step. Uh, so no, uh, no doubt it was, you know, meant to fuel the narrative and at the same time, you know, put a bad face on, uh, on Christianity, things like that. It, it, I don't think that mind would have been changed. Right. And likewise, I think the same holds true for the readers. Um, I think the people who look at that and go, stupid Christians, look at them churches causing trouble. <clears throat> you know, they don't care about our safety and all that. I think that falls down on party lines as well. I would disagree with that a little bit because I think that uh, many readers who are watching news, you know, 18 hours a day or whatever, um, uh, especially mainstream news, are going, oh, those, those Christians should be more careful, you know. And, and I think they buy the narrative to some degree. A, a, a lot of, um, I don't mean, mean uneducated in, in the sense of dumb, but I mean um, who are educated in the narrative. I'm not Christian. I'm not sure we, we understood each other there. My my, my okay. point is that people who look at the article and remain uninfluenced by Christians. In other words, they don't have the kind of mindset that says, I'll listen to what a Christian has to say. Oh, okay. You're talking about unsaved. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> um okay. they're not gonna the change their reader. mind necessarily just because a church decides to wear masks. So mm -hmm. I'm lost person A. And I'm kind of cantankerous about Christians, and I already think Christians are are dumb, and you know faith is is ignorant, and all of that, and faith is anti-science, and all of that. And then all of a sudden, I, I read about a church that is wearing masks, or or maybe I'm spoken to by someone from that church, you know, and they tell me, yeah, we follow all the COVID restrictions. I'm not suddenly going to change my mind and listen to the gospel uh, favorably just because that guy is obeying his government. In other words, my mind is already made up. Faith, faith, faith is already not in the heart, right? Uh, I'm already, uh, you know, committing the sin of unbelief prior to any of the COVID stuff. So I, I don't know that really the whole conversation about uh, wearing masks as a means to keep our influence is a relevant argument. I, I, I don't know that it I is. I think it has some. I mean, I mean, I can see, I can see, even from the opposite perspective. You know, if we're talking to a guy, and we don't agree with him, but we go, you know, that guy's really got a really good personality. You know, he's got a good sense of humor. He's easy to talk to. That guy's a lot of fun. Um, he's engaging. You know, I may not agree with him on everything, but I enjoy talking to him. Mm -hmm. Well, in that way, he has he has opened up uh, the opportunity to influence me by being very agreeable, you know, even though I might go, you know, I might have initially said, well, we, we, we don't really, really don't agree. Yeah. By the fact of his demeanor, I thought I was more open to more conversations with him. Yeah. And, and I do you realize know? we're kind of supposing here, you know, this mm -hmm. is not concrete, but, you know, at least from my own personal experience with unsaved people is that they'll often be agreeable with me. I mean, just all day long, all day long until I bring up the gospel. <laughs> Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so as friendly as I could have been, as agreeable as I could have been about anything, whether it be COVID restrictions or life in general, whatever, their agreeableness is not dependent on me thinking like they do about government or restrictions. It, it, the, the gospel is always the dividing line. 
It's always the dividing line. Um, I, I, I literally see people totally change their demeanor and their relationship to me when the gospel comes up. Um, you know, cause you try to influence someone's life for a long time, sometimes months, uh, and, and you get along real good with them. And then all of a sudden they feel like you're trying to, they, 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 they get the sense. Okay. I see what he's doing. He's, he's trying to give me the gospel. You know, he's trying to tell me I'm not a good person. Um, oh boy, here it goes. <laughs> immediately the demeanor changes and the whole relationship changes. So, uh, thinking about it from, from Paul's standpoint here, where he specifically says the verse that just, Justin gives here, uh, first Corinthians 10 33, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. Even though Paul says here, all men in all things, do you think logically he had to have some sort of line drawn somewhere of things that he would not do? Sure. Yes. Right. I mean, and so, and I think that's kind of the gray area is to say, uh, okay, at what point do all of us feel comfortable saying, okay, that's my line? Because we would, because I could take the same, I mean, I under, I can, I can go on both sides of that. For instance, if I say I go to like, and I'm, and I used this illustration some weeks back, um, you know, we went to a foreign country and somebody was giving, uh, my wife and I think another young lady, uh, a manicure or something. And anyway, the discussion of red nail polish came up and in that culture, or at least in that Christian culture, it would have been uh, boy, if you wear, wear red nail polish, it's kind of um, harlotish, uh-huh. you know. So, so you could say, well, you know, for the sake of these people, I don't have a problem with red nail polish. But you know, okay, fine, let's do something more, you know, tamed down or whatever. Okay, no biggie, yeah. that's fine. So I can understand not offending them yeah. in that way. But, but you then also don't how live far there, does, right? But yeah. even if I did live there, if I said, you know, I'm not going to wear red nail polish because it would offend these people now. You know, that might be another question, but still, it doesn't seem like a big deal. But then when I draw it far enough and go, well, now you have to um, acknowledge trans um, transgenderism and you have to use my preferred pronoun. Yeah. You know, because if you don't, you're not loving and you right. don't care about me if you don't you, if you yeah. don't buy into my narrative. Well, then I start to go, eh, I don't think I'm going to go that far. So right. somewhere in there, there's a line. And, and every yeah. issue has to go, well, where is it on that line? But it is kind of gray. Well, and I think it's different for every person that you're dealing with, the person you're trying to influence, because mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. a certain point, <laughs> a person is not influenceable and they just keep trying to see what they can get you to do. You know, they just want well, to stuff think, you into their mold. Right. Exactly. At and at point, a certain right. point, you're not using your liberty. You're just pandering. To see, you know, if there's maybe if, if there's maybe some hope that maybe I can keep influence in their life to see them saved. At Sorry. a certain point, though, their heart says, I won't be saved. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I just want them to celebrate what I want and to agree with what I want. Okay, I see. So at a certain point, though, are you saying then that it could be appropriate for people to wear a mask with certain people that they don't want to offend because they feel like they are in a position of influence? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, And I've been, I think, fairly consistent with that uh, since we've started this, you know, weeks or months ago, that in some instances, I think it is okay to wear a mask. But generally, as a whole, you know, if someone is saying, you know, in your home, you need to be gathered 10 or less for Thanksgiving and you have to be wearing masks between bites of food. Um, 
Well, that's nonsense. And I'm not doing that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But in a position where, say, uh, there's a church and the pastor says, yeah, I don't think I need to wear a mask, but I know some people in my church would be bothered <clears throat> if we don't wear masks. What's your take there? Just to say, if you are bothered by it, stay home. Or say, well, we'll, we'll wear a mask for your sake so that you're not offended. Or are you waiting for somebody to actually say, pastor, you're not trying to like, preemptively determine people's offenses and just say, if somebody approaches me, then we'll consider the issue. What would be your answer to that? I think that's going to depend entirely on your situation. Um, okay. You're going to have to yeah. have a read on your people. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and, and at a certain point, uh, you do have to draw a line and say, you know, I realize that that this person who I'm dealing with, even in my own church, their mind is not influenceable. They have chosen to be on the wrong side of something that is 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 absurd. And at a certain point, me simply pandering to to their 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 absurdity is 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 a bridge too far. Yeah. So, I mean, so because, yeah. So at a certain point, you know, if they say you can't meet for church. We say, well, that's absurd, you know, and yeah. well, you're unloving if you meet for church because that's a super spreader event. Yeah. You know, you're just you're just making you're just, you're just asking people to get sick. No. But at that point. Yeah. But then but even Justin there at that point would say, well, that's a biblical issue. You know, the mask isn't so much yeah. a biblical issue. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I think it's going to matter <clears throat> on each individual situation. Um Justin gives us a few more verses uh, here from First Peter 2, uh, verses 15 and 16, uh, which I think are helpful verses as well. Um, and uh, I wish we had more time to, to go over all of that. But um, he did give some follow-up feedback on that just to clarify his, his own position. He, he didn't want to imply that by, that by our discussion, discussion, we didn't express enough concern for lost souls. <laughs> And um, I appreciate the clarification, though. I didn't yeah. take any offense at the comment at all. Yeah, I did not either. I, I kind of knew where he was going with it. Um, and I, I, I know Justin personally. I know he wasn't trying to, to offend in that way. But, but no, I, I appreciate the feedback. And, I, and you, have to, you have to appreciate somebody that says, hey, I've been listening to you. I appreciate it. And I, and I, and I think I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. No, well, that's kind of <laughs> yes. that's kind of in a way what we want this to be. That's we want this conversation yeah. to be the reasoning together. And that kind of atmosphere where they feel comfort, comfortable to disagree, throw out another point and see what our take is on For it. sure. That's neat. Yeah. Well, did we, uh, did we, did we beat that horse dead? Well, that's, I think, as much time as we can give to it. Otherwise, we got a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't really want so to do that. There's so much to say. There really, this is a good personal discussion with somebody who actually, again, will discuss. Um who, who's willing to talk about it? Because to me, there, there, you do, you, you know, you draw the logic this far, but then you say, well, what about this thought? Well, what about this principle? Well, what about you know? And you really can. There is a lot to hash through there. Sure. And at the end, I think you're still going to get to some degree to a gray area that's a personal uh, case by case issue. You know what I mean? It's not going to yeah. be just, just, just fall down right on this, you know, solid black and white you know, yeah. divide here. Right. Yeah. And, and, but, uh, and I know for me personally, in my own sphere of influence, I don't really have um, acquaintances that are going to be in any way more influenced by me than they were before, just because I choose to wear a mask. 
Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's just discerning my own situation. In your situation, your results may vary. <laughs> uh, you might have people yeah. that are that sensitive uh, where they might re- remain influenced by you if you wear a mask. At that point, you know, you might want to consider wearing a mask uh, for that person. But, uh, you know, maybe I just deal with uh, more hardened people than than some. But um, anyway, that uh, that particular issue does seem difficult because it seems relatively benign. But where it leads so soon uh, isn't as hard to distinguish. It doesn't seem like, you know, Thanksgiving gatherings and whatever. But um, I wanted to I wanted to move on to to this again as kind of a Thanksgiving episode of. Somebody said recently, you know, you can you can garner things from people with whom you <laughs> disagree, <laughs> i.e. I mean, you know, that's kind of our previous discussion, too. But uh, I heard recently someone say and I and I like the quote, I had to think about it, but then I, oh, I think I like that. Um, and it's it was basically saying this. Everyone has a story. Let your story magnify Christ. And I think that is true, that everybody does have a story. That is that is your testimony. So mm-hmm. let. Uh, you know, use that to exalt the Lord. And I would say about uh, a year and a half ago-ish, um, I dug into more details about my background because growing up, I, I knew some about my mom and dad's conversion a little bit, a little bit, but not many of the details. And I was challenged um, uh, to think about that and how great things the Lord had done for me, how was it that I came to be raised in a Christian family and, you know, and to be where I'm at? And so I asked some details, and I was just really, really moved by uh, the story of my parents, and I think our listeners might be as well. And then just to encourage you, use your story uh, to magnify Christ, uh, even, you know, around this Thanksgiving season. Um, I want you to picture an upper cla- a, a young girl, upper middle class. Uh, her dad's a small business owner uh, who worked hard, loved his family. Uh, they were re- religious, in fact, devout Ro- Roman Catholic. Um, my mom was taught by nuns. Uh, she was an active girl, loved people, especially kids. Uh, she was like the Pied Piper of the neighborhood. Uh, hmm. The story is told, you know, where she could just gather a line of kids and they'd go marching and singing along. And... Um, and so she had a, a way with kids, has a way with kids, and, and uh, she was a responsible girl, help with her siblings, help around the house and the family. Um, in fact, in her school, she became the first female president of the student body. Hmm. Um, she continued on to college. She was a bright, beautiful lady, and she was classy. Uh, just short of finishing college, though, uh, she, got, she got married, and that's an interesting story in itself, which has kind of had to do with her theological mindset at the time. Um, but she, she got married. Uh, soon she had one child, then another. Uh, but she became a foster parent to 10 boys. <laughs> so she had 10 boys plus her own. Wow. And I don't remember if the second child was there at the time. Um, but then that second child was born and had severe um, physical needs, if you will, had a, a major birth defect. Uh, things got worse in the marriage. The marriage failed. So now she's a single mother of two. And she uh, gets a job at a local restaurant. Now, let me stop the story there and and back up again uh, and tell you about a little boy, now my dad. Uh, In a couple major respects, his home was the polar opposite of my mom's. They were not religious. Uh, They were quite poor. Uh, It wasn't that they couldn't have had some money, 
uh, but his dad wasted it, quite a bit of it, on alcohol. And while his mother loved him very much, it seemed that his father loved him not at all. Uh, in fact, he had a bad temper, at least with his family. He was a good guy to other people, but to his family, he uh, had, a, had a bad temper. And, uh, and, and, and that little boy, who's now 82 years old, remembers when he was five or six years old helping his dad with the project. And, and what, what he was supposed to be doing, he couldn't quite get right, it seemed like. And so his dad lost his temper, slapped him upside the head, causing him to hit his head on the bar of that contraption and knocked him out uh, as a five- or six-year-old boy. Hmm. Wow. Um, he wasn't the only one to get manhandled, though. His mom got the worst of it uh, until finally at least one of the brothers swore that if his dad ever hit uh, uh, or did that again, he'd kill him. So dad finally left. Uh, I mean, his dad finally left. So his mom and the six kids. Dad was 10. Um, he, had a, he had a strong and loving mom, but his life was certainly hard. He started working when he was 12. Uh, he eventually graduated from high school, joined the Air Force. Um, he, too, got married, had two children, and his marriage failed as well. So now in his late 30s, he picked up a second job. In the evenings, he worked at a local restaurant as a bartender. Um, it was there that that bartender met that waitress, the young mother of two, they were eventually married, he with his two kids, her with her two kids, and they had a child together. That's me. Soon after that, uh, mom began babysitting to help with the family finances. There were 13 kids <clears throat> that she babysat, apparently. Uh, some of were, them were in school, so she had it for a partial day. But you imagine the chaos <laughs> and the difficulty of wow. if you're not that used to a lot of kids. Of course, she was kind of a kid person, but it was even wearing on her. And she tells of a day when she was babysitting, and she remembers walking down the stairs. And I remember those stairs <laughs> in that in the old house. She remembers walking down the stairs with a laundry basket in her hands, and she literally said out loud, "Lord, send me something." <laughs> This is a young Catholic girl, now in her second marriage, you know, who doesn't know the Lord, but she says, Lord, send me something. And no sooner had the words left her mouth than a lady for whom she babysat showed up at the at the house, you know, and she heard a knock on the door. <laughs> she answers the door, and this lady, you know, she's kind of surprised, you know, what, what's she doing here this early? Because she has a job. She's not supposed to be here this early. Hello, the lady says, and my and mom's thinking, what are you doing here? And uh, the lady said, well, she has a big smile on her face. I just lost my job. And mom thinks, well, you look awfully happy for somebody who just lost her job. But uh, <laughs> she said the lady was waving a flyer. And she said, how would you like to go with me somewhere tonight? And mom said, at that moment, I was, I, I was willing to go anywhere. If she asked me out to a bar, I was ready to go. <laughs> she just, she, I guess she wanted to get out. She wanted to do something. She needed something, but she didn't know what. Well, uh, so she called Dad and uh, to get permission to, to go to this thing tonight. So she's reading this flyer and saying, um, apparently they're having this, you know, uh, um, I think it was like a Christian womanhood meeting at Fulkerson Park Baptist Church. And, uh, and I'd like to go. And uh, so Dad let her go. And uh, she went that night with this friend who had just lost her job and uh, and had been happy through it, you know. And uh, and there she heard different ladies talk about what it was to be uh, a Christian woman and how that affected different facets of life. 
At least that's kind of what that program was. And as they were in line for refreshments that night, uh, a lady asked her, do you know where you're going, where you're going when you die? And mom was probably kind of felt a little awkward with that question as a lot of people do. And it was like, um, yeah, sure. (laughs) You know, um, uh, because in her mind, you know, I I try to be good and I'm, you know, I'm a good Catholic girl and okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just kind of want to shrug you off, whatever. So she's, she, so she gave her an answer, you know, and the lady, you know, went on and lady and later, uh, I believe it was the same lady. She came back and she said, I don't want to offend you, but I just want to make sure that you really are sure that you're going to heaven. Cause the only, and the only reason I'm asking is because there was a time when I thought I was saved and I really wasn't. And that question, uh, really kind of <clears throat> turned the table for my mom to say, wait, you know, how you thought, you thought you were saved, but you weren't. At least I think the Lord started using that. And March one, uh, in March, she was invited to church and, uh, and, and apparently my dad, came with her and of course they had kids and 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 I and it was either mom or dad remembers the song I think it was mom she remembers this song this hymn and we, we in a future episode we would like to talk about our favorite hymns yeah um, but the hymn she remembers was I will praise him I will praise him praise the lamb for sinners slain Somewhere along the line, she was interested, you know, in, introduced to that verse, um, you know, something about believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, um, and thou shalt be saved, or some there's some passage of scripture that she was wrestling with as a as a Catholic girl because she thought, well, I believe in Christ. In fact, she she her her belief was so close to the truth that you know she believed there was a Jesus that he uh, died on the cross. Uh, and that he, you know, and that he opened the gates of heaven so now we could work our way in. And, and so, you know, she believed in Jesus. You know, how, and, and so what is this, you know, believing in Jesus in order to be saved and, and maybe this, you know, thinking you're saved and you're not? And I don't remember the exact scripture verse, but um, she, that, that church, anyway, they, they attended that church, I think, a couple few times, and they had a uh, a small Christian school. I don't even know that it went, you know, all, I don't think it went all the way through 12th necessarily, but um, she wanted to enroll my older brother in in that. And so she went and the, the administrator or the man she talked to said, well, first we need to take, you know, address the issue of your relationship with the Lord and something like that. And she said, well, funny you should mention that um, because I've been wondering about this verse. <laughs> and so she you know, so he called in a lady staff member who took her aside and explained the scripture to her, and she was saved that day. But not, but of course, that left dad. <laughs> and uh, so uh, dad didn't take so well to it, and, uh, and men from the church uh, tried to stop by the house. In fact, they came by at least more than once, maybe more than twice. Um, he says one time he came home from work, he saw their car in the driveway, and he backed back out and he left. <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> Stayed away for a while um, and came back later when they were gone. Finally, men uh, from the church uh, came, you know, visited the home. Dad was home, and, uh, and, and he, he listened as they spoke to him about the gospel. And he finally bowed his head to accept Christ. Um, one thing that struck me about that that story as they told me the details 
was not one time was the pastor of the church mentioned. This was a woman who lost her job going to a meeting of Christian women, husbands of the church, visiting men, you know, visiting a man to win him to the Lord. This was the work of the people. Wow. Yeah, I thought it was really something. But then I get a text this week, and my mom says, "Uh, fun fact to know and tell, dad was your age when he got saved. And it immediately gave me a new perspective of, wow, you know, okay, where I'm at now is where dad started his spiritual life. Can you imagine being raised on the wrong side of the tracks, an abusive father, a poor family, working hard, fighting too much, spending time in the military, working multiple jobs, you know, including bartending at a restaurant. You're on your second marriage, two children of your own, two stepchildren, one new boy, not even two years old, and spiritual life begins. Wow. And you don't really know anything. <laughs> um, and, and so that's the home that I was raised in, but little, and it, not that this is everything or that, you know, that ministry has to be the, the ultimate test of, you know, of, of fatherhood and how you raise your children, but I doubt that the thought crossed my mind, uh, or, or my dad's mind, that in 40 years, you know, this little one-year-old boy would be standing at a pulpit. Many times, though, we have commented on the new branch, the new branch of the Fox family. Uh, the way it started was pretty rough, you know, for him. And yet what God's grace did to create a new branch, and, uh, and, and, and you can see the effect, not just in me, but other, the other kids as well, the influence of that Christian home and that Christian influence on them and what God did through that. Uh, here you had two people from essentially polar opposites going through rough, difficult times, you know, broken marriages, and God takes that and he, and he saves them and he works in that family. And, uh, and now I can say this about my in-laws too, but you know when I go home, I don't go home to this, you know, um, cursing, smoke-filled environment where, where, I, where I, you know, I talk about Christianity and I get rebuffed. Yeah. Um, no, I go home to a friendly environment. You know, I can go to their church. We can talk about spiritual things. Um, and, and we're on the same page. Hmm. And God has done so much there. And I, I am so blessed um, by, you know, their testimony and what the Lord's done in, in my life, of course. But, but it wasn't just that all of a sudden, poof, God worked at my life, in my life at a certain age. It had that whole backdrop, you know. Right. Of, of these lost people and what God did in their lives so that as a, I think it was probably a four-year-old boy, my mom was telling me about Jesus, you know? Yeah. And it was my mom who said, you know, I, I'd, I'd feel more comfortable if you went to Bible college for a year and then you can do what you want to do, you know? It's, 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 uh, anyway, mm. such a blessing there. And, um, uh, and, and everybody has their story. It's similar to what you see in Acts. You have Lydia, the business owner, and you have the Philippian jailer. And I and I kind of and, and maybe I'm wrong, but I sort of see that as a rough job, you know. <laughs> sure. And I, and I and I see a similar a, a similar dynamic there of God. God, you know, works in this man Paul to to close the door here, to close the door there, and finally say, we, you know, you need you're needed here. And so he goes to this specific place and he begins to preach Christ. And, and Lydia gets saved, and 
Philippian jailer gets saved and a church gets started. Um, and, and of course, a, a demon-possessed girl gets delivered. Now, we're not for sure that she's saved, but I mean, you know, she could have been part of that church too. And so you had this interesting social dynamic right in the church yeah. and, and what God did there. And I, they, they have their story. I have my story. You have your story. Uh, use that to magnify Christ. Wow. Yeah. That'd, that'd make for some interesting thoughts um, at your Thanksgiving table <laughs> if you go visit your family. I mean, just, just imagine yourself sitting there, uh, you know, thinking this wouldn't even be happening like this Yeah. if the Lord had not intervened. And, uh, boy, that's that's something to think about. I think uh, maybe all of our listeners could maybe reflect on that a little bit sitting around the Thanksgiving table this year. Good, good. Well, thank you for and, sharing uh, that. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. I, I love to share uh, that, that testimony. Um, God is good. He's the definition of good, but we certainly can see his uh, grace on display in our family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What he's done. Amen. Well, I think we should leave it there. Yep. Amen. I think so, too. Well, we, uh, we do thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, continuing to stick with us. Uh, with this podcast and continuing to support and and send in your questions and your feedback. We we are grateful for all of that. And uh, we do trust that this week when you go celebrate Thanksgiving with your family that uh, you'll be able to reflect a little bit on when the Lord intervened in the life of you and your family. Yes, uh, amen. I think that would be a, a good thing to think about as we go to this Thanksgiving holiday this year. Very good. We want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving, uh, and and uh, again, thank you for listening. Hope that you have a wonderful time with your family, that the Lord is magnified, that you received some joy and refreshment there. Uh, again, we're encouraging balance, developing perspective, and connecting faith to practice. This is Reason Together.